You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 139 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Last week, my guest was near-death experience researcher Dr. Evan Alexander, who also had a direct experience himself of what he now studies and writes books about. His latest book, Living in a Mindful Universe, was co-authored by today's guest, Karen Newell. And Karen has spent a lifetime seeking wisdom through esoteric teachings and first-hand experience, exploring realms of consciousness. She empowers others by demonstrating how to connect to inner guidance, achieve inspiration, improve wellness, and develop intuition. She is co-founder of Sacred Acoustics, an innovator in the emerging field of brainwave entrainment audio meditation. And before we start talking to Karen, uh, I'm going to play a short sample of one of her brainwave melodies, I guess you could call them, uh, that you can download for free on her website. And uh, she talks about this particular one uh, a bit further on in this episode. So for reference, I think it's good that you hear a short sample of what sacred acoustics and uh, brainwave entrainment audio can sound like. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for inviting me. So could you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and, w- and what you do? Well, my name's Karen Newell, and I actually founded a company called Sacred Acoustics, which is a company that creates sound files to assist people in getting into altered states of awareness who may otherwise not be able to do it on their own with such things as meditation where our mind just keeps chattering away and this particular type of sound is uh, brainwave entrainment technology and it includes special signals that help calm the brain into states associated for example with the flow state that runners get in you know we hear about runners high or uh, maybe those uh, Tibetan Buddhist meditators who've been meditating for 10,000 hours, they naturally get into a flow state after, you know, accomplishing these kinds of things. And our brainwave entrainment can help people get into that state without all those years of practice. So that's something I got interested in when I had my own challenges of learning how to meditate. My interest in meditation stems from a lifelong interest in It may sound a little odd and disconnected here, but my lifelong interest is related to our ancient prehistory, which I feel our culture is very out of touch with. I feel as though we don't really know what our history is. And when I was a young child learning about it in, in say, elementary school, I remember learning about those great pyramids in Egypt. And what's really interesting is they tell you that these enormous pyramids were built as tombs for pharaohs 
maybe built by, you know, their theory is they were built by thousands of slaves over decades, and uh, nobody really knows how they were built. And engineers of today, at least back in the 70s when I learned it, would tell us that those pyramids could not be recreated with the technology we have today. So this immediately told me as a child, oh my gosh, we don't really know what we're talking about. And I started paying attention to everything I was learning in school. And some of it made sense and some of it did not. And somehow I didn't trust everything I heard. And later in life, I began quite an exploration of um, alternate theories of our ancient history. And of course, along the way, I came across the uh, story of Atlantis that Plato writes about, the ancient Greek philosopher Plato, he writes about Atlantis, this ancient culture that existed with great technology just thousands of years ago and was destroyed in a great flood. Well, of course, this comes up in biblical texts and other types of texts. I learned there's at least a hundred stories of these flood myths. And so I really started to realize that story Atlantis, which they tell us is a myth, actually had some truth to it. So my sense of what our roots are really sent me on a uh, journey of discovery. And I started reading esoteric texts, things like theosophy, Kabbalah, ancient Vedic texts, Eastern philosophies. And when I did that, I learned how so many people discuss the importance of going within, the importance of really knowing ourselves over the, there's a, uh, a place called the Oracle at Delphi in Greece, and over the uh, entrance to it, it says, know thyself. Um, this is something that from ancient days, people have recommended as the way to really understand reality is to go within. And so as I started my search for methods of going within, I tried traditional forms of meditation, and they just, I was a project manager, I worked for a technology publishing company doing technology, desktop publishing, web development, project management. My mind just raced and raced and raced, as many of us in the Western uh, culture have. And uh, I found that sounds, sounds like monotone sounds like chimes, Tibetan bowls, um, crystal bowls or tuning forks, had this quality that kind of I would say mesmerized my mind and, and allowed me to settle down. Now then I discovered, as I said, this technology of brainwave entrainment, which is a digital form of creating kind of the same kind of music as these Tibetan bowls. In our research with my business partner, Kevin Cossey, we discovered that Tibetan bowls actually, you know, they have that really rich sound that kind of goes wah, 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 real subtly. And when we analyzed it, we found it was actually a sound that was naturally creating a brainwave entrainment type of effect, which is something known as binaural beats. Now, as I was discovering these binaural beats, um, I met this person, Kevin Cossey, who was on his own kind of discovery for going within. He had had a near-death experience, and um, he had discovered that these realms were pretty amazing when you get into that uh, near-death state. And so he wanted to recreate those realms and was looking for different ways to do that. Um, and so he wanted to make his own binaural beats. And when I met him, I had listened to probably every binaural beat on the market by that time. And I was very curious about other methods. And he wanted to make his own. And so that was kind of the roots of uh, 
sacred acoustics when Kevin and I started creating files for our own personal exploration. Now, along the way, we met Dr. Eben Alexander, and I believe you had a recent interview with Dr. Alexander. He's very well known for his book, Proof of Heaven, where he writes about a near-death experience of his own. And he, during his experience, had, I'm not sure if he brought this up for your listeners, but on his experience, a, a, a vast uh, kind of quality of it was this sound that he heard, which started with uh, he describes this melody that he heard and then these angelic choruses that he heard that kind of lifted him to higher realms. And then in the deepest part of his ex experience, he heard this sound of Aum. And this was kind of the resonance of all eternity and affinity, as he describes it. And so he was also looking for ways to uh, kind of recreate that experience of his near death. And um, he came across this binaural beat technology. And so the three of us all happened to be in the same uh, workshop, I, I guess you would call it, and we were, we were exploring ways to use this sound, and he got very excited by our technology when we gave him an opportunity to listen to it. And he's really the one who uh, encouraged us to make these recordings available to others who may have similar issues. And uh, this has been uh, the reason we created the company, Sacred Acoustics. And now I actually teach with Dr. Alexander at workshops around the United States and around the world um, how to use this sound to get into altered states of awareness. So it's different than just hearing one musical note it's a, like a frequency sound how can you explain the technicality <laughs> yes it's very very technical and precise there's a lot of um binaural beats available out there for free on youtube or on uh, apps that are available but what we discovered when we started analyzing all the different ways of creating them is that they're not all created equally and the, the basics of it is, this was discovered by a man named uh, Dove back in the 1800s. And he noticed that certain sounds like trains and uh, nowadays, of course, airplanes, this sort of, like I was saying, that Tibetan bowl, this kind of constant hum that has a little waver in it. And what he discovered is that type of sound could be created. Um, and... I guess it was later Bob Monroe in the 70s is the one who kind of brought it into the modern era. And of course, today we have a lot more digital tools available to us to make these very precisely. But the way it works is there's a sound delivered into one ear, say a sound that, that is 100 hertz, and then a sound in another ear, for example, 104 hertz. And that is what creates that little waver in the brain. And it's not a sound we actually hear, it's a sound that the, it's kind of complicated, we actually hear it, but it's the wavering sound gets translated by the brain stem, as Dr. Alexander tells us. And um, he's, he uh, explains that this waver kind of drives the brain into a lower state of awareness. So the waver is actually being... All right, let me start over. You've got 100 hertz in one ear, 104 hertz in the other ear. The brainstem calculates the difference between those two frequencies to be 4 hertz. Now, 4 hertz is just an example, but 4 hertz is representative of the state that we're in when we are 
first waking up in the morning or first going asleep. This is the edge between delta and theta or the hypnagogic state. Now delta is measured in somewhere between zero to four hertz. Now the next step up from that is four to eight hertz. That's the theta state. That's the state that's associated with that flow state or the uh, Tibetan monks get into that state very easily. That's a very meditative state. Alpha is eight to 12 hertz. And that is the state that we're in when we're very relaxed, when we're in a contemplative focused moment. It's also the state that pops up a lot during REM dream sleep, especially back in the occipital lobe, which is associated with vision. Now, 12 to 30 hertz, that's the beta range. That's the state that we're in when we're walking around, when we're talking. That's the state that we're, when some of us try to meditate, we can't seem to get out of. And so these brainwave entrainment tones actually drive the brain down into those lower states, such as that four hertz I was describing. Now, it's not quite as simple as that. There are lots of uh, you know capacities out there where you can just get a four hertz signal sent into your brain, say through some um, app or YouTube video. But what we do is something a little more complicated than that. What we discovered is just it actually started when uh, Dr. Alexander suggested that we create tones specifically related to his coma state because he wanted to see if recreating that coma state in his brain might allow him to re-access those realms. Now, it wasn't so simple as that because once you just start driving the coma state is down in that delta range, once you start driving those very low frequencies, the end result is just that we simply fall asleep. What we found was, is when we intermixed in some of the theta and alpha tones at the same time as the, del as the delta, is that we could put the body into a very profound state of relaxation, but the slightly higher frequencies of the theta and alpha range between the four and roughly 12 hertz, when we mix those together, it allows the awareness to kind of awaken while the body is very relaxed. And so we can kind of create a lucid dreaming state, but rather than waking up in sleep, we kind of put ourselves into sleep, but still having that awareness, if that makes sense. So it's a state similar to lucid dreaming. Now, theta is a state that children are in when their brains are developing, and they're just naturally learning lots of things. And what happens when children are at a certain age is that certain authority figures start telling them what's right and wrong. Naturally, parental figures and teachers want to tell kids things. But what happens is we end up telling them things in anger sometimes, like, you're no good, or you can't do that. And, and children start to um, kind of embed those things into their brains naturally in that theta state. So sometimes we start programming these kind of limiting belief systems at a very young age about our capabilities and capacities. And when we get older, we can uh, put ourselves into that theta state and kind of start reprogramming those limiting beliefs. So there's many applications that these binaural beats have. Our initial drive was to use them as uh, a method to have journeys into altered states of awareness. Um, interestingly, these binaural beats do a similar thing that um, some of the recent psychedelic studies show. And these are studies done in both Brazil and the Imperial College out of London using substances such as uh, 
DMT, which is found in ayahuasca, um, psilocybin, which is found in psychedelic mushrooms, and um, LSD. Now, LSD, <clears throat> excuse me, is one of the most powerful hallucinogenics. And what they found in these studies using fMRI is that um, the main junctional centers in the brain are actually shutting down. So this was very surprising to researchers when they discovered that uh, what the hallucinations that they thought were just happening and being created by the brain were actually causing the brain to shut down, suggesting very strongly that these experiences are not happening in the brain at all. And any of us has the capacity to uh, do this. Now, we always recommend that uh, such substances used in a lab are, are very safe because you're being monitored. We like to recommend that people, you know, you, who want to use them for recreational use to kind of think twice before doing that because there's a lot of side effects. But in a sacred setting or a research setting, you know, they can be very useful. But we find that sound, it's interesting when we run into people out in the world who use our sound, people who have used some of these psychedelic substances such as ayahuasca, some of them say that the sound gets them into very similar states that they are in much safer, easier fashion that, that can be, you know, listened to for an hour and uh, it's done, you know, whereas some of the other methods take a lot out of you physically and, uh, and, your, and your time. So it's a, it's a very uh, wide range of things that people can do with binaural beats from just falling asleep, from uh, the challenge of uh, the mind shutter and meditation, having profound journeys, reprogramming, you know, belief systems that you that aren't beneficial. Some people use them to um, access the souls of departed loved ones that they want to get in touch with. And uh, it, it's just a very vast range of possibilities. Have you heard of anybody doing such psychedelics and using binary beats at the same time? What could happen? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. What we find is that it's not effective to mix them. There are two different uh, kind of things going on at once, and um, they don't really, they aren't very compatible with each other. So when we're using binaural beats, we always recommend, you know, don't use alcohol, don't use any other type of brain entrainment technology. There's other kinds that aren't related to substances, but um, they don't usually go well together. So we we uh, have experimented to see if one would enhance the other, and, and that's simply not the case. So they, they should be done um, separate from each other. Apparently, all the planets in our solar system have a frequency, and you can uh, find out what frequency it is and listen to it. Could, is that something you know about? We absolutely do that. That's another great question. The way we develop our frequencies are very much inspired by frequencies found in nature and the uh, cycles of the planet and the, the, uh, the, every sound is related to a number and music is basically math. And so when you start creating all of these different formulas, we do get inspiration from the cycles of the planets. We also get information from, um, we get inspiration, excuse me, from Other patterns found in nature, such as the Fibonacci series, the golden mean, which of course are related. This is a pattern that's found in nature all over the place, in pine cones, in sunflowers, in the proportions of the body, in the proportions of uh, 
the way really anything is built. They found them actually in the cycles of the planets, there's all different formulas. And these formulas, we use them um, as inspiration to create our tones. Now, another thing that we found is that not all binaural beats are created equal when it comes to selecting those frequencies. We found that often when we looked, they seemed to be a, a kind of random selection of carrier frequencies. And often they didn't necessarily sound nice to the human ear like regular music does. And so often people would add white noise or rain kind of a shh sound to mask it and make them easier to listen to. But we found now it's interesting because Kevin, our audio engineer, is not a musician, neither am I. And so we don't know musical theory. And interestingly, when we started doing some trial and error, we learned about harmonic principles that are used in music. And when we started applying and experimenting with different ways of uh, harmonizing these different frequencies, whether it was from the planets or, or uh, other, other frequencies, we found that applying harmonic frequency, uh, principles made them much easier to listen to. So a common harmonic frequency that we might employ is... Uh, uh, harmonics of, say, the number 108. So you add 108 together, that's 216. Add 216 to 216, that's 432. Those three frequencies are the basis of what we call our uh, sacred acoustics ohm. And this is actually, I should mention, a free file that's available by going to our website and entering your email address. And we will actually send you a link to this file. It's a 20-minute version of our... Um, ohm frequencies. Now, once we started using these harmonic principles, such as we do with ohm, the experiences really started to change. For one thing, we could eliminate the white noise. So we no longer had what sounded like static or, you know, something that just didn't sound natural. We no longer had to do that. And the sounds started to sound very musical, more musical than they had before. And when we add other sound effects, um, usually synthesized, but often sounds we find out in nature, such as water or um, bird chirping occasionally, um, things like that. We make sure that the frequencies that we're using, even of all the sound effects that we add, are harmonically, uh, you know, pleasant to, to the ear as all of the digital frequencies that we're adding. Adding. And so there's there's quite a lot of layers, sometimes dozens of layers in one file of all of these different sounds working together. Now, our audio engineer is also very cognizant of uh, the concept of cymatics, which is sound actually creates shapes. And this can be seen very readily. Search YouTube for cymatics and you'll find some amazing videos where people pump one frequency, say a frequency of 432, right into uh, a speaker, a giant speaker with, say, a pie plate on top that has some kind of substance like sand or salt. And when that sound is played, that one frequency right into that pie plate, it forms a shape. You change that frequency, the shape just shifts right before your eyes. And so digital audio um, software these days does the same thing. You can look at spectral analyzers, frequency analyzers, and all different shapes show up. And so when we create sound, we also look at how the sounds are interacting with each other, how the waves are colliding and doing different things with these shapes. And uh, all of this together gives us these 
I have to say, they're almost like composed works of art, each and every one of them, just like an, an artist would spend time in a studio getting just the right flavor of notes together. That's the effort that goes into our creation, even though they're coming from uh, very strict digital type frequencies. We are trying to work with um, instruments such as uh, we do add a drum now and then, and shamans have been using those kinds of sounds for millennia to get people into altered states of awareness. And so we also do incorporate not just binaural beats, but these isochronic tones in combination. And it creates just a, a much more powerful type of experience than binaural beats alone. And it's interesting that speaking of, you know, using um, the drum for millennia to help people get into altered states of awareness, sacred sites around the world, those pyramids uh, really got my interest. And I learned there's sacred sites all over the planet that cannot be explained, either when they were built or how they were built or why they were built. And the pair group, the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab out of Princeton, New Jersey, they have um, studied sites around the world and found that certain places like the uh, Hypogeum Chamber in Malta, the island of Malta in, near Spain, I believe that's an island, and uh, let's see, where else? There was one down in uh, South America whose name escapes me, but it was built out of conch shells. And then we have Newgrange in Ireland. All of these locations and more, when they start to study the resonance, the sound in these locations, they find that there's a pattern and that they were all kind of intentionally built around this um, frequency range of very roughly 95 to, say, 115 hertz, somewhere in there. And that happens to be the range of... Uh, of a male voice when it's, say, chanting an alm or any kind of, uh, you know, mantra, the male voice falls into that range. And that's the resonance that is found in these uh, chambers and different structures around the world, which tells me, and it kind of hinted to the uh, pair research group, that they were built intentionally and to create that sound. And so sound really has been around for millennia. The oldest sound healing instrument known is the didgeridoo, and that comes out of Australia. The uh, Aborigines have used that for healing to great effect for, for many, many thousands of years. And actually, when uh, Dr. Alexander and I were traveling in Australia together giving presentations, we came across some didgeridoo players, and they actually, you know, gave us a private little little uh, demonstration, and it was wonderful to discover that uh, didgeridoos can also create a binaural effect. And so, even though we're using digital, modern, you know, Western type frequency development uh, system, natural instruments have been producing these type of sounds for many, many, many thousands of years, and. Shamans know this. Kevin uh, was once in Peru and he participated in a ceremony with shamans and they used conch shells. One shaman was on one side of the room and another shaman was on the other. And they blew into these conch shells while the people in the middle, you know, got into an altered state to explore the spiritual realm. And as this was happening, Kevin recorded it. He also hooked up our little brainwave reading device onto his forehead and was able to see what was going on in his brain when this happened. And it was a very interesting effect. When he got home, he analyzed that sound and found, sure enough, it was a binaural beat. 
And it did a similar thing that uh, we see when we're listening to binaural beats to the brain. And so it's, uh, this is nothing new, is what I'm trying to say. There, there's nothing new about this technology, except how we create it and how we make it available to modern people in a busy, modern world to help them get into these states in a uh, more efficient fashion. This thing where frequencies create sounds, it kind of fits with the scientist theory that uh, the string theory that the universe is created from vibrations. That is correct. The universe is created with vibrations. And what's so interesting is uh, that kind of tells us there's no material to the material world. And this takes us right into, well, how does that happen? How does our material world get created from a bunch of vibrations and appear like solid matter? And this is one of the mysteries that uh, Dr. Alexander and I are discussing, actually, in our forthcoming book uh, due out in October called Living in a Mindful Universe. And what's really wonderful about this book is that Dr. Alexander brings that scientific foundation to these concepts. And we... uh, marry the the scientific uh, kind of discoveries, um, including everything is a vibration with how does this happen? And and we go into the philosophical uh, position of idealism. Now, this is the opposite of materialism. Materialism tells us that uh, this is where you say there's nothing in the world that exists except material matter. But right away, string theory tells us that everything is vibrating. How could that be? And so we can go all the way to the other side to idealism, which says everything in our world was born out of consciousness. Now, consciousness can also be considered a vibration. I studied another um, school of thought that tells us that thoughts are vibrations and emotions are vibrations. And they are kind of made known to us through electromagnetic measurements. Now, this really shows up with uh, research with the heart. HeartMath Institute is an organization in uh, California that has been studying the heart for a couple decades. And what they found is, is that they can measure an electromagnetic field around the heart, and it's shaped like a torus field. Now, a torus field is also around the earth. A torus field is also, there's also a torus field around the brain. Any type of sort of energetic system has one of these torus fields. But what's very interesting about the heart's torus field is that it's rather large. It spreads out around our body at least the uh, width of our hand span. And it actually can uh, contracts and expands and in, in different situations. And what the heart math people discovered is that the heart, field expands and contracts based on our emotional state, the state that we're in. And so our emotions and our thoughts together create that electromagnetic field. This, the school of thought that I, that I was referring to actually assigns these vibrational energies, that it assigns the thoughts as electric and the emotions as magnetic. Now, this hasn't been proven scientifically. I want to say that, say that clearly, but... This is something I've played with in my life, uh, just kind of as an experiment myself. As I change my thoughts and emotions, how does that change the effect of uh, how my heart feels? And if we start to pay attention to our heart, this is as simple as just kind of the easiest way to do it is just to think of something that we're grateful for. 
something that makes us appreciate life. Say it's a beautiful sunset or a newborn baby. For me, it was puppies. At age six, I had puppies born under my bed, and this was a magical moment that uh, stayed with me forever. So when I think of puppies, my heart feels different. And when you start to pay more attention to that feeling in your heart, you can actually feel when it expands and contracts. And this is where I've really learned to harness my thoughts and emotions and think about that concept of idealism. If our, if our thoughts and our emotions are actually creating the reality around us, how does that work? Our thoughts are vibrations. Matter is made of vibrations. How are those two related? This is that mechanism that has uh, been searched for by many. You know, how does this work? And it has not been found in the physical world. There's been some theories about microtubules and, and other kinds of things in the brain. I like to just not worry about the mechanism. I like to just experiment in my life. And, and when you start to realize, when you, when you do start to experiment with thinking certain ways and, and feeling certain ways, it's never just the thoughts alone. You have to actually feel with great passion and conviction the thoughts that you're thinking in order for this to really activate. But we really can create situations around us. Um, not necessarily tables and chairs, can't, can't really jump right to that necessarily, but we can jump to creating situations around us that create uh, the kinds of things in our lives that we that we wish to have. Now, our thoughts, if you if you try on that theory that our thoughts create everything around us, be very careful what you think about because if you're thinking about a lot of negative things and you're really wallowing in uh, self pity and victimhood and things like that, for example, just something like. Uh, Say you're at work and in, a, in an office situation and there's always that person who comes in who had a bad traffic experience or is in a bad mood. And what I think about now is that bad mood is creating this uh, very constricted heart field. The other interesting thing that HeartMath discovered, which is important to bring up at this point, is that our heart fields actually affect the people around us. And so when that bad mood person comes around us, it actually affects us. So pay attention. This is how our thoughts and emotions affect physical matter. If it's affecting the other people around us in measured scientific ways, it's got to be affecting actually everything in the universe. Um, the other way that we can really see this is when our is with our relationships with animals. Um, animals are, you know, the, the, they get debated in the scientific world as are they conscious or not. Well, most of us who have domestic animals like dogs or cats, um, we do feel like we can communicate with them and we actively do. And, you know, some scientists will tell us that's just our imagination. People like Rupert Sheldrake will tell us, no, absolutely not. We are connected with our animal uh, companions. And uh, Larry Dossie writes about this in his book, One Mind. And he recounts many, many, many examples of animals who are so connected with their human companions that they find them when they're lost. So one family writes about their dog getting lost on vacation and several months later found its way back to them 3,000 miles away. There's another story of a, a guy who was actually in the war in, uh, and he was across the English Channel in some fox, fox uh, foxhole uh, fox and his dog showed up. Somehow it crossed the English Channel to find him. So. 
these kinds of connections between our uh, animal friends tell us that this one mind is accessible to all of us. I actually took courses in animal communication and I found I could pick up things that animals I didn't even know were saying. And this came up one day, I'll give you one example, in an animal communication course, some uh, people had brought their animals in for us to ask questions of. And we were given a list of questions, example questions. And one that I asked was, is there anything you'd like to change in your life? I never thought to ask an animal such a question. But this poodle, in my mind, the answer was, um, <clears throat> I'd like to have my bed by the window. And so I reported this to the owner afterwards. And the uh, owner of this dog said, well, our dog doesn't have a bed. Uh, but just yesterday, we borrowed one from a friend. <clears throat> and when they borrowed it, they put the bed by the window. And the dog stayed in the bed all day long looking out the window because outside the window was a little playground where children were playing. There was lots of activity. And the dog really enjoyed watching this. And so this was very interesting to me that we could connect to them. Now, I also took a course called uh, Healing Touch for Animals. And in this course, we, we learn how to use our hands to channel energy from the universe into the animals for healing purposes. And one of our diagnostic tools was to use a pendulum, which is just a weight on a string. And we hold that in front of the different energy centers or chakras on the animals. And what we found is the heart chakras in animals are enormous, absolutely enormous, because animals don't seem to have much emotional trauma. Of course, if they've been abused, that's a different situation, but that's not the case for most animals. And they have these beautiful, wide open energetic hearts. And if we think about the heart math studies that say one heart pers one signal of uh, one heart can affect the heart of another, I like to think that our hearts are actually interacting and maybe that's how we're picking up this information from our dogs and other people. That's how our intuition works when we're out in the world. We're gathering information. Heart math tells us too that more information is sent to the brain by the heart than the brain sends to the heart. So this kind of for me, tells me that we're gathering all this information as our Taurus electromagnetic field is out working around us, bringing information back, sending it to the brain. There's another study that I learned about from Dr. Alexander that um, reveals that, uh, gosh, is it Leibet, Benjamin Leibet, who revealed that we could um, be exposed to an emotional stimuli on a computer and our physiological system reacts to it minuscule milliseconds before we see the picture. So that to me tells us that we know things before our brain starts to interpret them. So this is a very interesting field to explore. What is really going on uh, with those vibrations that you brought up? How do they work? And experimenting in our lives in some of the ways I've been describing is how we can really learn firsthand how that works. Could you say that, you know, when you have intense pleasure or an orgasm, you can start to shake? And also if you have an intense trauma, shock, you can also start to shake. Is that like a manifestation of these vibrations? Yes, absolutely. The emotions are so strong in our bodies. Thoughts are, are, are a little different. Thoughts, you know, we talk about that mind chatter and, and it kind of seems to have a mind of its own. It just goes on and on and we tap into it now and then or we think really hard and 
it's a different kind of thing, but emotions are huge. So whether they're, you know, massive amounts of pleasure or massive amounts of trauma, they actually do affect our bodies in very powerful ways. And this is another way that our thoughts and emotions affect physical matter, how they reflect in our bodies and how they reflect in uh, disease that we form. And so I would say that, yes, things like orgasm, of course, when we, we, we feel that intense pleasure, that's what uh, people who've had near-death experiences will tell you. That's the closest we can possibly get to that uh, feeling of God or oneness or uh, connection to all that is. That, and and, and uh, as uh, most people know, there, there's many different qualities of orgasm and those that involve uh, you know, really strong spiritual type connections or loving connections are often very more, much more powerful um, in many ways than those that aren't, aren't uh, had with uh, less loving types of connections. And those traumas that you speak of are incredibly powerful. So speaking of the uh, you know, child's brain being in, in that uh, developmental theta state at a young age, if a child ends up going through a, a traumatic experience, whether it's intentional or not, whether it's something like a, a traffic accident or a, or a fire or losing a parent or something, or other types of intentional abuse, those types of things um, create a vibration in the body that stays. It stays there. It gets stored in the body until it's actually processed properly. Now, one interesting, uh, I'll call it a side effect of binaural beats is that sometimes when you start listening to binaural beats, or even if you just go into very deep meditative states, this can happen. We start to activate that kind of stored trauma. We start to activate memories that we've put into our bodies that we've forgotten about. It, it seems we never seem to forget the uh, pleasant ones. You know, those those we don't store away, but, but we store away those traumas because we don't know what to do with them. And later on in life, they pop up. They pop up as, um, you know, uh, things like we're having an argument with someone and we don't even realize we get triggered and we don't know why. We think it's the person who's talking to us, but really it's a trigger from a an emotion from long ago, or if we always have this underlying anger feeling, you know, there's people out there dealing with that. I had a little bit of that when I was younger, this, why was I angry? And when you start listening to these uh, binaural beats, you start to have memories, not necessarily of the actual events, although sometimes that can occur, but sometimes just an activation of that emotion. And I usually recommend when that occurs is to let yourself feel that emotion. Um, let yourself feel it. That's a, a way to actually release it and hopefully never experience it again. Now, usually it's not as simple as that. Usually there's many layers to these emotions and it can take several kind of sessions or over days, weeks or months to really uncover it all. And sometimes it's done in layer, you know, in, in layers where then we don't address it again for a few months, kind of let that settle. So this isn't a, a one-time process. This isn't something that you would approach and just do once to see if you like it or not. Every time you listen, a different experience can happen, including uncovering these emotional traumas. Now, this is something else that Dr. Alexander and I write about in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. There's a chapter on, um, it's, we actually call it Mind Over Matter, but it's a chapter about healing. We discuss the placebo effect and how 
so many studies show us that just the idea that someone is helping us will cure us, whether we have the actual medicinal substance or not. And so pharmaceutical companies, interestingly, don't like the placebo effect. They want their drugs to work better than the placebo effect so they can be approved and put out onto the market and sold to people as uh, tools to, to be cured. And uh, But the placebo effect is what interests me. There's actually a woman who writes about this. Her name is uh, Lissa Rankin. She wrote a book called Mind Over Medicine. And she writes about that. And uh, how can we harness that placebo effect to our benefit without having to take damaging uh, medicines? I say damaging because of all the side effects that often come with those medicines. And so the placebo effect has everything to do with our state of mind, our emotional state. And what we find is, I think it was Carolyn Meese who uh, discovered all the different emotional states that people are in and how it affects their uh, physical state such that it man starts manifesting actual disease in our bodies based on our emotional state. So what we find is the more we start to focus on our emotional state, on our spiritual connections, on our relationships with other people, on our, you know, on our purpose in life, why are we here, how can we be fulfilled, how do I make my heart sing, you know, what is my passion? The more we start to focus on what, who we really are, um, that's when healing starts to happen. And it's not as simple as that. There's so many factors. I don't want to make it sound like it's just as simple as, oh, change your thoughts and you'll, you'll cure your diseases. It's not as simple as that. These uh, patterns have been with us not, not only since we were uh, children, but from past lives. You know, if you subscribe to the uh, concept of reincarnation where we come back again and again, we're actually uh, on a much longer journey than just this one life, birth to death. There's uh, a lot of things that we want to address over, over uh, many different lifetimes, and those vibrational energies stay with us from lifetime to lifetime. As, as our soul gets incarnated into a new body, that, that vibration is imprinted onto our bodies. But most of us aren't aware of that. We're not paying attention to such things. And once you start to realize that our universe is alive and each and every one of us is a part of it and is creating it, once you start to realize that it's just an endless, endless uh, 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 possibilities of uh, searching of ways this can work. And uh, this is something we encourage everyone to do. Now, something else I want to mention before we run out of time is that um, the one uh, emotion that the HeartMath Institute found to be so uh, beneficial to that heart field and to the people who... Uh, hold them is that emotion of gratitude and love and appreciation. When we can generate that feeling, we actually, and, and when you consider that we affect all the people around us, a lot of people, when they hear that, the first thing they think is, well, how are those other heart fields around me damn, hurting me? You know, how can I protect myself? And I like to say that you know, other people's heart fields are not really any of our business, but our own heart field is absolutely our business. And it's really incumbent on each of us to pay attention to what we are putting into our energetic system because it does affect people around us, and we all are connected. And so the more we pay attention to that, the better it is for everyone. And 
the way we do that is first kind of generate that feeling I was talking about of gratitude or appreciation in the heart. And the more you can become aware of that, the more you start to feel it, the more you can start to generate it actively out in the world. And one exercise that I love to uh, present when we're giving presentations is to imagine that you're breathing in and out of your heart. And when you do this, imagine that that breath is not just going in and out in one direction, but that it's actually moving out into a bubble around your whole body. And when you breathe in, all of the points of the bubble, they're coming back into your heart. And in this way, you're kind of rounding out energetically that torus field around you making it very smooth and filling it with that feeling of love generate that love and feel it filling up that bubble and as each if each and every one of us around the world starts to do this we each start to become that love we're no longer loving each other we actually are living as love we're each in our own little love bubble and the bubbles are all connected and if each and every one of us could actually take the time to do this, I believe the world would be a different place. About seven, eight years ago, I went down to the Amazon to, to do an ayahuasca ceremony, and I had never done any psychedelics previously. So I didn't know, I read a lot about it, but I didn't really know anything of how it would go down. And the very first thing that happened, which surprised me, was the moment when I went from this reality to the other reality, uh, my body started to vibrate. Every part of me was vi vibrating, and this vibration caused this reality to start to shake with the vibration and finally dissolve. And ever since then, I've always been thinking that uh, uh, it's all about different states of mind are different vibrations. So when you die, you just enter a different vibration. That is correct, yes, and it's just one without a physical body. Our awareness stays aware. Uh, I love how Dr. Alexander says, you know, nobody gets out of here dead. Our awareness does not end, and so you, you may end up in a different, different body with a different personality and different issues, but we have a connection from that uh, soul energy from before. Now, those vibrations you speak of can be incredibly powerful, and that's another thing that happens sometimes when people listen to our tones is that the body will, for some, not everyone, but for some, the body will start to vibrate like that. Now, if you study or experiment with uh, techniques for out-of-body experience without the kind of ayahuasca substance, but just with uh, trying to get your body body's energy out of the physical part of the body, those vibrations come with that too. They're often the uh, precursor to a out-of-body experience. Now, there's a theory out there that every single night when we fall asleep, our awareness goes off and uh, does other things, uh, potentially in the spiritual realm, connecting with other souls to, uh, you know, continue our plans and things like that. But we forget. We're programmed to forget somehow what's going on when we're asleep, and we call it unconscious or a dream state, but our awareness could actually be doing something else. And a lot of times I have this sense, um, there's something that people call sleep paralysis. When you're laying there in bed and you, you wake up, but you can't move your body, that can be a little frightening. And sometimes that's associated with a little bit of vibrations. And I like, I, I like to think that that is the, uh, the, the 
energetic body has not fully returned to the physical body and it's it'll be there in a few minutes and if you just lay there and kind of wait then your body can return to its uh physical mobility but those vibrations as you described can be very powerful they can feel like a you know a train is is passing you you know right behind you and uh and then the next thing you know, you, you called it, uh, you know, dissolving, which is a beautiful way to describe it, where the physical world just dissolves. And uh, others call it, you know, just that sensation of the energetic interacting with the physical. You know, what that feels like when you're actually aware of it is those very powerful vibrations. And so when this happens, if this happens for people occasionally when they're listening to our tones, it, it's... The thing about the tones is there's, uh, you know, 7 billion plus people on the planet and there's about that many ways to, uh, to react to the tones. We're all so unique and so some will have these vibrations but others will not. And so I just want to make sure listeners realize that it's not a one size fits all. Everyone will have a different experience and some can actually generate intentionally those vibrations um, for an out-of-body experience without listening to tones at all, using different kinds of uh, energy activation techniques, using the mind to uh, manage the, the energy of the body is something that can be developed without using the ayahuasca. Um, of course, both ways are valid um, and both come with different pros and cons, so it's good to be aware. I have a small one-year-old baby and every time she's very, very tired and she wants to go to sleep, she always touches her face and then she makes this noise. Uh... Oh my gosh, your little baby is oming. That is so cute. That's amazing. I'm very excited because I have a, a child, but uh, she's 28 years old. And, and of course, when she was born, I didn't have the level of knowledge that I have today, but she's getting ready to have a baby of her own. And so I will be a grandmother in December, I'm very much looking forward to observing that baby, just like like you are, to see uh, how that really works. Now, interesting, it's reminding me something about my daughter. Um, she used to uh, take naps constantly, and later in life, we were participating in a hypnotic regression session. And she t said in that session, when back when she was regressed to being a baby, that she didn't like being in her body that she actually was uh, not comfortable in her body and it took her a while. Your baby has already developed its little routine for, for getting there. That's beautiful. So could you tell about your book again and also about your uh, website? Yes, our website is sacredacoustics.com. And again, if you want to try our sounds, you can do that for free. Uh, you just find the free download area and put in your email and we'll send you a link. Now, we have also um, just created an app that's available um, for Apple devices and soon for Android devices. Just search for Sacred Acoustics in the Google Play or the Apple App Store for, for that. And the free download is available there as well. Also available uh, on our site is a series of what we call training videos also available through the app. And that is where I explain and Dr. Alexander explains a little bit about how to use these tones for different uh, types of benefits. Now, you can also uh, stay alert for our forthcoming book, Living in a Mindful Universe, which is out in October 2017 in North America. Dr. Alexander and I wrote this book together. It's 
it's his continued journey, um, as he wrote about in Proof of Heaven, but it also then spins off into all kinds of practical tools of how we can use the types of ideas we've been talking about in our daily lives and not just have to wait for an uh, near-death experience or you know, going to Brazil for ayahuasca to experience these realms. Thanks a lot for taking the time to be on the podcast. Well, thank you, Alex, for inviting me. It's been wonderful to discuss these topics with you this morning. To find out more about Karen's work, simply go to sacredacoustics.com. Now we are going to listen to a song called Elizabeth from the album So It Goes by The Number Fox. You can check out more of their music at thenumberfox.bandcamp.com. I'll post all the relevant links in the program notes on nashubornalchemist.com as usual. Finally, as always, don't forget to like the Facebook page and follow the podcast on Twitter at Born Alchemist. Next week is a mystery. All I know is that on Sunday you will be able to listen to a brand new episode of this podcast. Till then, try and relax in traffic, have road love, not road rage, and if you see a beggar drop a coin or two, I'm sure it won't break your budget. And if you ever see some politician talk about the enemy or about war on TV, just turn that TV off. Freedom is in the mind. And I take a breath of sweet.